So in Daniel chapter five, King Belshazzar is now on the throne. Uh, not to be confused with Belteshazzar, which is the name of Daniel. It's very confusing. So you've got Belshazzar and then Daniel's other name is, but don't worry about it. Belshazzar is the king and uh, he throws a huge party for all of his nobles and he gets really drunk and all of his wives and their concubines and it's just everything that you would imagine that it would be, okay? And while he's drunk, he sees these fingers appear. He's sitting on his throne, right, into the wall next to him. These fingers appear, and into the plaster of the wall, these words are carved. And if you could see this guy's face, you would see all the color leave it, right? He's terrified. He goes pale, and he asks, what is happening? Does anybody see this? Someone interpret this for me. And all of the people, whether it was because they were dumb or drunk, it doesn't make a difference, had no idea. I don't know what's going on. The astrologers, right? The sorcerers, the magicians, the wise men of his, of his country couldn't figure out what was going on. And finally, the queen comes in, presumably his mother in this case. And the queen comes in and says, hey, um, there's a guy who interpreted a bunch of dreams. He's got the spirit of the gods in him. He can do this thing. His name is Daniel. You kind of forgot about him. Let me go get him for you. And we pick up the story more or less Right there. He asks Daniel, can you read this for me? Tell me what it means and I'll give you a gold chain placed around your neck and you will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. And picking up at verse 17, everybody there with me? He says, Daniel 5, 17, then Daniel answered the king, you may keep your gifts for yourself. Give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. Your majesty, the most high God gave your father Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor because of the high position he gave him. All the nations and peoples of every language dreaded and feared him. Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. And those he wanted to humble, he humbled. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from the people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like the ox and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and sets over them anyone he wishes. But you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all of this. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you, and you and your nobles, your wives, and your concubines drank 
wine from them. You praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand, but you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. I didn't tell you before, but not only did he throw this great banquet at which he got drunk, but when Babylon overtook Jerusalem, they stole from it, as you do, all of the treasures of the temple. And it was those treasures, the goblets, right, the plates, the silvers, the golds, that Belshazzar took out to get drunk from. And while indulging himself and his pleasures, it was then he began to worship the other gods as if to mock the God of heaven. Fascinating. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. This is the inscription that was written. Mene, mene, tekel, parson. And here is what these words mean. Mene, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple. A gold chain was placed around his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. And that very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain. And Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. It's funny, yeah. Who cares? Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this word. And thank you for the many words that we pray you would speak to us. May my words uh, simply be words that your voice would work through. May the words that I speak be pleasing to your ears. And to the ears of those here, would they hear past them to your voice directly. In Jesus' name, amen. Heard this story before? You're probably familiar with the writing on the wall as a phrase, or you have been weighed and measured and found wanting is kind of a phrase that finds its way into our culture. Well, we got here not from nowhere. I want to, uh, there was a... a I heard recently that sometimes it's hard when you come into a church in the middle of a series to kind of pick up with it. So I want to recap in case we forgot how we got here because you don't just end up in a situation like this, right, where there's a king who's mocking. And so let's go all the way back to chapter one really quickly of the book of Daniel. If you've got your Bibles open, you can do that if you want to flip through, but we're going to go really fast. Just a quick recap. Again, we don't want to forget how we ended up in this situation. And I want to point out some themes as well. Chapter one starts off with this. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And then we get the story of him taking the best young men from Jerusalem, setting them up, and we heard Pastor Eric preach about the food that Daniel and his friends refused to eat. They ate vegetables instead, and yet they became the strongest among all of their peers and the wisest among all of their peers. And God proved even in their exile that he was still Lord over them, that he would still take care of them, that he hadn't abandoned them and that he was more powerful than the gods of Babylon. Right, remember that? Turning the wheels. Chapter two, Nebuchadnezzar, it says, in the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. And he has these dreams and we saw a picture of a statue 
And there was a gold head, and there was a silver torso or chest, and then there was a bronze waist, and then its legs were a mixture of iron and of clay, and then a rock came and smashed it. And Daniel was the only one who could both tell and interpret this dream to King Nebuchadnezzar. And it was about how he should be humbled, right? Because God is the one true God. And so in chapter one, you've got this image of the humility of the people and the power of God, even in the midst of this foreign nation. And in chapter two, you've got this humbling of the king and the proclamation of the power of God, even in the midst of this foreign nation. And then in chapter three, we heard about Shadrach and Benny, our favorite trio. And Shadrach and Benny were told they had to bow down and worship to this golden statue of Nebuchadnezzar, because it starts like this, chapter three. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold as if he totally forgot the lesson that God had just taught him with the dream. Remember, Daniel did go to Nebuchadnezzar and say, you are the head of gold and you're gonna be overthrown and destroyed. And the only thing he took from it was, I'm gold, yeah, that's great. Let me build a statue, cool. And so he builds himself a statue, tells Shadrach and Benny that they need to worship, bow down to it. And they say, no. We're gonna humble ourselves, right? We talked about the humility and the courage of Shadrach and Benny. And Nebuchadnezzar is humbled because when they throw them into the fire as their punishment for not obeying this new edict, what happens? There's a fourth man in the fire and they're not burned up and even the ropes around them are not burned up. And we see how in the humility of the, the three, God showed his power over not only the gods of Babylon, the king of Babylon, and even fire itself, right? You tracking this theme? It's kind of the same thing every single time. And then in chapter four, Pastor Eric preached on this in September when we were talking about what it means to be made in the image of God, to have Christ formed in us. And in chapter four, if you recall, King Nebuchadnezzar has another terrifying dream of a tree that gets chopped down. And Daniel comes to him and says, I hate to tell you this, but you are that tree. Once again, you're great. You're awesome. Yeah, I'm not telling you otherwise, but God's going to chop you down. And so Nebuchadnezzar ponders this for a while and then eventually finds himself on the roof of his house. And like he did before, he's like, wow, I'm so awesome. Look at this kingdom that I made. Literally everything that I see is solely and holy because of how great I am. I think that's word for word. And so God strikes his mind down and he becomes, like we heard Daniel recite to his son Belshazzar, like an ox, like a beast of, his field, of the field. He loses his mind. He's humiliated. He's humbled. And God proves himself to be God over the gods of Babylon. Are you catching the theme? <laughs> And we just read chapter five. So here's my question for you. It's kind of a peculiar one. Maybe it seems off topic, but uh, who's the book of Daniel about? There's a few right answers. If you say, what'd you say? It's about God. Yeah, that's pretty true. Who else is it about? Daniel? The, Babylon? Nebuchadnezzar. Let's look again. First verse of chapter one. What's it say? The third year, the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar became king. Very first actions belonged to Nebuchadnezzar. Chapter two. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. Who's it first and foremost about? Nebuchadnezzar. Chapter three. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold. Who's it about? 
Nebuchadnezzar. Chapter 4, first two words, King Nebuchadnezzar, right? And it's a peculiar thing, right? This is a book written by Jews, written by people who are oppressed by this very man, and they write a book about him. It's absolutely about God. Everything in the scriptures is about God, but it's very much about Nebuchadnezzar. And there's a fascinating thing going on in this from a literary perspective uh, where the villain is actually the protagonist. You ever heard of this or seen this? Became really popular in a very popular movie recently called Infinity War. Thanos, according to the screenwriters of Infinity War, is actually the protagonist or the anti-hero. It's about him. It's about his character arc. And as you watch Infinity War, all of the Avengers, if you're familiar with this, I apologize if you're not, are kind of, they don't really do anything, (laughs) right? (laughs) One, they lose. Two, sorry, spoilers. Two, they're the same throughout the whole time, right? They've got good ideas and good intentions and they're gonna do their best. And they're this, what in literature is called a foil against the character who is developing, who is changing, who is the main character. In a similar way, the book of Daniel presents Nebuchadnezzar as this anti-hero. And as we read, because we can pick up on that, I think we're supposed to look to Nebuchadnezzar first to relate. Isn't that kind of strange? How many of us much prefer to relate with the Captain Americas? (laughs) One. How many of us prefer the Tony Starks (laughs) or the Spider-Mans or the Black Panthers or the, the, did you say Wonder Woman? Different universe. But yeah, or the Wonder Womans, right? The Black Widows and the, um, you get, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's much harder to admit that Thanos is actually pretty sympathetic in some ways. It's much harder to admit that Nebuchadnezzar is actually kind of similar to how we are, and I think that the author of Daniel is trying to help us recognize how Israel had from the beginning been acting in the exact same heart space as Nebuchadnezzar has shown throughout this book. Daniel and his friends are actually the outliers in the community of Israel, not Nebuchadnezzar. He would have fit right in. So let's look at chapter 5 again. What are the first two words? Someone shout them out loud. King Belshazzar. Time has passed, but the form is the same. It's still the Babylonian king who we center around. So I want you to look real quick. You can discuss with your neighbor, what are some of the main character traits of Belshazzar that you see? Take 30 seconds. Look Look through the chapter, remember. Talk with your neighbor. What are some of the main character traits of Belshazzar you see? You want me to bring my mic down to you, Mike, yeah. so you can? Come on, bring it. <laughs> he's an alcoholic. Wait, and he's... wait. Oh, Give him some time. Why do I have to wait? Because I'm telling you to. Well, I've got a good answer. I thought it all I know you have a good answer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, give it to him. Okay, he's an alcoholic. He's an and alcoholic. He's, and he's prideful. Okay. And he's arrogant. Yep. And he's really stupid. Well, we don't know that. He's an alcoholic, at least for tonight. He's arrogant. He's gluttonous. He's stupid, maybe. He's king. I don't know. Daniel give us, gives us some pretty, um, pretty significant clues. Let's put this up on the screen, if you will. 
But you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. So you were dead on. What's the first thing? He's proud. But you missed the second one. What's the second one? Proud, not humble. We're going to use those as synonyms. He what? He didn't know. He should have known. He's forgetful. Well, let's... He's, he thinks he's above it all. Yeah. He's forgetful. So think about it. Nebuchadnezzar, we just had four chapters with him. Proud, gluttonous, right? Arrogant, just to add words, layers to proud, right? And what did God do to him? He humbled him. He humbled him. The last words recorded in Nebuchadnezzar's life are proclaiming that God, the God of Israel, is the one true God. Belshazzar, his son, probably grand or great-grandson, actually, but ancestor, proud, right? Arrogant, gluttonous, all exactly the same. But what doesn't he have? He forgot. He forgot. He could have learned because it all happened. He's the same character, but without the development. Now we're starting over. You see this? I've been forgetful before. And so it's a little bit humbling to keep going back to that theme to consider that one of the main character criticisms that God presents to Belshazzar in this is simple forgetfulness or an unwillingness maybe to remember, right? Raise your hand if you forget stuff and you feel like a sinner while you do it. So uh, real fun, because my parents are in Romania right now, uh, there was a trip that my, my parents own a film production company. There was a trip that they were going on to the Middle East, um, uh, Israel, and I think Jordan and Turkey were a part of this particular trip. And uh, they've got quite literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of gear, right? Million dollar budget film shoot. They're flying dozens of people over with them. They're meeting other people there. They've got... Uh, like 15-hour work days that are scheduled to the, to the second, right? And they've planned all of this for months and months and months. Everything is ready. They get to the airport, and my dad's passport is expired. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? There are sometimes are consequences to our forgetfulness, is the point of that story. Even worse... As is the case in this, I think a lot of the times forgetfulness and pride end up actually sharing the same space. And that story of my father, he, uh, he was not being proud there, except maybe that he just assumed that his stuff was taken care of as he was worried about other people. I want to tell you a story about myself. First time I got to preach was at Point Loma Nazarene University at the student chapel on a Wednesday night. Um, and... I prepared, I worked really hard, I wanted to do a good job with this, except um, I had a peculiar idea because my desire, right, my heartfelt desire was that knowing the fellow students who I go to school with, I'm not smarter than they are, and I don't have that much good stuff to say to them, but I know they just need to hear the words of the Lord. 
And so, kid you not, my first sermon was about 20 minutes, 25 minutes. The first five minutes was preparatory words. And then the last 20 minutes were just reading straight through the book of 1 John. Yeah, Yeah, true story. Do it. And I also kid you not, it was to this day the best sermon that I've ever given. Yeah, and the, the Holy Spirit moved in that room in such a way, it wasn't like everybody was impacted, but there were people who just stayed. All I did was read First John, and people just sat there for like 20 minutes afterwards, some of them crying, some of them pacing, some of them continuing to read, and the word of God just did something in them. And so I thought to myself, I'm a pretty good preacher. <laughs> And so the next time that I preached, I was like, I got good stuff to say. (laughs) And it was the worst sermon that could have possibly been given in the entire world. And God humbled me, right? Because I forgot that from the beginning, my intention was not to give good words of my own, but to let the Lord speak, right? And that I put hard work even into that, even though I was just reading. I, I practiced and I practiced and I practiced. And this other one, I'm like, I'm pretty good. I got this. And I show up and <laughs> bomb it. We're forgetful and we're prideful and often they're the same thing. And there are consequences. But this, this is the truth for us today. And it's really simple. It couldn't be simpler. And if, if I had to give a 30-second sermon, I could have today. God wants us to remember God wants us to be people who remember. It's written everywhere. If you gave a sermon cover to cover of the Bible, it'd take a lot longer than 20 minutes, and you'd also see in it, remember, don't forget, over and over and over throughout the scriptures. I want to look at Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. It says, be careful to follow every command I am giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised an oath to your ancestors to give them. Remember how the Lord your God, once again, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands, right? God is preparing his people to enter the land, to receive the greatest gift. What should they do? Remember. And then they get into the land, or he preps them to get into the land. He says, when you've eaten and are satisfied, this is verses 10 through 14, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, when your herds and your flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase, And all that you have is multiplied. Or like in the case of Belshazzar, you've got gold, right? When you've got banquets, when you've got nobles, when you've got... Then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Go into the land. I'm gonna give you something good. And remember. And when you get there and you have stuff that's good, don't forget because you're gonna get proud. You see? And once they get into the land, when they actually do, now we get this story. The very first thing they're supposed to do, they're supposed to settle down, get their homes, get their fields in order. And then they're supposed to go, this is Deuteronomy 26, 5. And they go to the temple or where the tabernacle was set. The temple wasn't built yet. And they recite. 
They bring an offering and they recite. They say, my father was a wandering Aramean. And they talk about Abraham and they talk about the exile, right? Again, practical steps God is giving them to remember. Why? So they don't grow proud. It's built into the 10 commandments. Did you know that remembering is a part of the 10 commandments? It is. We think of, right, don't steal, don't covet, don't make idols, don't have any other gods before me, honor your father, your mother, all of those. Sabbath and Exodus. Keep the Sabbath holy and remember it because in six days I created all things and on the seventh day I rested. And in Deuteronomy again, when now they're in the land, keep the Sabbath holy, remember it because you were once slaves in Egypt, right? Therefore, don't make your slaves work. You don't work. Remember what it is to be free. Remembering is built into the commands of God the most fundamental ones. And it's supposed to be built into the rhythms of our life, i.e. Sabbath. Why? So that we don't go proud. Why is it so hard to remember sometimes? I'm not gonna give you an exhaustive list because <laughs> there's a lot of reasons. Some of them are just physical, right? Michael, you and I, we're just not that bright. <laughs> Sometimes we get bored, though. Have any of you ever forgotten about the goodness? We, we sang 10,000 reasons. There's 10,000 reasons to praise God. Have you ever forgotten them just because you got bored? Life becomes mundane, and you actually forget that God is good. Not because anything bad or, or remarkably good has happened, but you just, nothing has happened. At least that's how you perceive it. And so you forget. Or in bad times. We willfully forget, I think, sometimes when things go bad because we, we wanna have an excuse and we wanna blame God for why things are going wrong. And so we forget the goodness of God. We don't think God's gonna show up for us in the bad times. I mentioned that Belshazzar is a sympathetic character. There's some context to this story. You'll remember the last verse is that that very night his life was taken from him, right? By the Persians, the metal Persians who were coming in. It's not so straightforward for a foreign nation to overthrow the strongest power in the world. <laughs> the Persians were already there. They were already there. When Belshazzar threw this feast, pardon my language, this orgy, right? This last ditch effort to get something good out of life, it was because his palace was surrounded by enemies who were about to take his life. God was not gonna show up for Belshazzar and he was sure of it. So he was just gonna go out with the bang. Worship his gods, whatever. Mock the gods who he'd overcome before, even though he had nothing to do with it. But there's, there's some sympathy there, isn't there? What do you do when something bad is about to happen, when you know it's coming? I bet some of you bow down and worship. I bet some of you pray and fast. And I bet 
some of us, and I bet all of us at times, don't. And I bet we forget. And I bet we think that gold and money and the things that we're probably going to lose are more important and more valuable and more precious than bowing down and seeking the Lord. Why didn't God show up for Belshazzar until right before he died? It's probably the question Belshazzar was asking. Why me? Why me? But remember, God did show up for Belshazzar. One, at the end, we'll get to that. But two, in Nebuchadnezzar. This is the hardest question, I think. Is it enough for us as believers to have faith in who God is based on what he's already done? Or do we every day, every moment need him to do something new, to keep proving himself over and over, continuing to test him, and in some ways even mock him by saying, well, sure, maybe you did that then, but that doesn't matter now anymore. I wonder if we forget so easy that when God does something, it's not just a singular act in history, but it's a mark and a definer of his constant and unchanging character. Nebuchadnezzar changed. Belshazzar needed to change. Daniel and his friends were doing their best. God does not change. When God showed up to Nebuchadnezzar, he was saying, I am one true God. And Belshazzar could have seen it. I think, I'm thinking of my friends and I'm thinking of myself. The ones who are desperate for a fresh touch from God. And that's a wonderful thing to be desperate for. But are we willing to say that God is who God is because of what he's done and live in accordance with it? I'm thinking of my friends who think that God has utterly forgotten about them and I wanna point them to the cross or their family's history Here's, here's, the, here's the word, here's the truth. Look back in Psalm 78. This is where we started our day. The very first thing we read together, some of us weren't in the building. Psalm 78. He decreed, oh sorry, will, this is verse four. We will not hide them from their descendants. This is the things that we have been taught. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. And it keeps on going, right? It says, he decreed statutes for Jacob and he established the law in Israel which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children so the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds but would keep his commands. They would not be like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation. God's work in freeing Egypt delivered all of the Israelites and freeing them from Egypt. So the kids, even though they didn't experience walking through the water themselves because they'd been in the land a few generations, the question is, were they still free? Was God still who God was? And I think as well, now looking back at us, of um, some of us who... Uh, 
maybe don't have as good of testimonies. Have you ever met a Christian like this who's like, man, my testimony's so boring. I wasn't an alcoholic, <laughs> right? I didn't do drugs, right? I didn't have a near-death experience. I was just born and raised in the church. It's so boring. But again, the testimony of God is not first and foremost about the people who he's changing, but about a constant descriptor of the character of God that is unchanging. So we must remember. We must remember. Why is it so important? I've got some thoughts for us. And then I'm gonna give us some ways to uh, potentially help remember. Why do we need to remember it grounds us, both in history and in humility? And these are essential, to remain humble and remembering our story and remembering what God has done will help us remain humble and it will connect us so that we don't feel isolated. Belshazzar could have continued the work, right? It helps us remain faithful, right? If I remember that I was a slave, if I remember that God created all things, if I remember that God fed the Israelites manna and quail in the desert, I'm not gonna worry so much. I'm gonna be willing to follow his law, to obey his commands, because I know that they are good because he's proven himself to be good. It helps us remember the poor, specifically. In Acts, we get this great phrase that says, in everything I did, this is Paul talking to a church that he helped plant, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. It is more blessed to give than to receive. If I forget that God provided for me when I was poor, if I forget that God commanded me to take care of the poor, when I get rich, who am I gonna forget? The poor just like Belshazzar, just like Israel. It helps us stay grounded. It helps us remain faithful. And it helps us remember the poor. And maybe most of all, it's essential that we remember because our lives are going to be demanded of us someday. Each and every one of you is going to have a Belshazzar moment. You might not have a hand appear in a drunken stupor carving plaster from your wall. But God is gonna come to you and he's gonna say, your days are numbered. All of the wealth that you've gathered on earth, it's gonna be divided. You're not gonna take any of it with you. Are you ready? And if I spent my whole life forgetting, am I gonna be ready? You must remember going to keep reading the scriptures. Luke chapter 12, 13 through 21. Hear for yourself the parables. I'll let this kind of linger. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Right? Dividing up money and stuff are our concerns. And Jesus replied, man, who appointed me judge and arbiter between you? Then he said to him, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you 
fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? You think when Jesus was saying this, he had Daniel on his mind? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. And skipping ahead a little bit, then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or about your body, what you will wear for the pagan world runs after all such things and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out a treasure in heaven that will never fail. Where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And Jesus, as if referencing referencing Belshazzar himself, says, Remember that God is good that he cares for you, that he created all of these things, that he provided for you when you were a slave, when you were lost, and seek the kingdom first. Belshazzar thought that he needed to hoard his money, he needed to gloat in his money, he needed to remain proud, proud, proud because all of his stuff was about to be stripped from his hands, and yes, yes it was. Tomorrow's not guaranteed, so today will we forget God? Will we forget the poor? Will we forget what God has done for us? Or will we remember If we don't remember, we're gonna think that all that we have is just ours. Look what I made. Look what I did. So here's some some opportunities for you. Things you can do, practices, really practical before we get to the table. Read your Bible. Seriously. Uh, Raise your hand if you're part of a KLC right now. Cool. Uh, I hope, my prayer is one day that every hand is raised when we do that. Uh, one of the practices that we're instilling our KL, in our KLC is just encouraging each other to read the scriptures every day. It's not necessarily because you get something great out of it all the time. In fact, often you don't, but it helps you remember, helps you stay grounded, helps keep you humble. Opportunity two, remember your own story. In our KLC and often in church, we talk about the daily examine. If you're in Marilyn Henney's class, I'm sure she teaches you about this as well. But spend time each day just remembering Actually work through the actions and the thoughts of your day. Keep a journal. Option three, learn and retell your family's and other believers' stories. Don't be ashamed about a testimony of God that doesn't belong immediately to you, but tell it as if it's true because it says something about God. I gave an interview to my grandpa once who is now losing his memory, and I've got those stories. We filmed them. I learned them. And they're still valuable and they guide me. Ask your family whether or not you're on good relationship with them. What happened? Talk to the people in this building right here and say, tell me about how God saved you. And then retell and retell and remember. Remember. 